Hey, Composer Quest listeners, it's me, Charlie McCarran, your composer host in Minneapolis. And this custom intro you're hearing was created by our guest today, Michael Chadwick. Under the alias Nebulae, Michael's created a bunch of albums and soundtracks to video games, some of which don't actually exist. One project we talk about is a soundtrack for the non-existent game Ebb and Flow. And he created this world so he could give himself musical challenges, like what would I make for the boss music, what would I make for the happy village music, etc. So before we go to my talk with Michael, I just wanted to point out that you can find all of these Composer Quest interviews at ComposerQuest.com, or you can stream or download them on iTunes or Stitcher. Also, remember you have about a month to finish the Fortune Cookie Songwriting Quest. Check it out at ComposerQuest.com Quest 6. Now, on to my talk with Michael Chadwick. And if you hear any music you like in this episode, I have links to everything in the show notes at ComposerQuest.com Chadwick. Mike, thanks for joining me here on Composer Quest. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah. The first time I think I was in contact with you was when you submitted your your song for the second Composer Quest quest. Yes, that was really awesome, actually. Yeah, I liked the song you came up with, with Sam Begich, Dog Eat Dog World. the process like for you in collaborating with Sam? I, I, You know, I don't know. Sometimes you just know in a few minutes if you're going to work well with someone. And Sam and I just kind of clicked right away. We seemed to just kind of intuitively understand the division of labor that comes with collaboration. You know, uh, I mean, someone has to take the lead initially. Someone kind of has to set a course and someone has to kind of back off a little bit and listen and then, you know, when they've said their piece, you know, you switch it up and you start responding. What pieces of the track did you contribute to? It started out with a, a bass line and, you know, it was a pretty funky track. So I think that's where, you know, all, all funky tracks got to start with a good bass yeah. line. likes drum sequencing so he took over that uh he's also much better than me at writing lyrics so he wrote those i can't i came up with most of the guitar parts and then he finished it off with um the actual production um a lot of sequencing he added some horns in there added some organ I definitely was, you know, kind of a late bloomer to the whole making music. You know, I've always loved listening to it like anybody else. But um, I actually wanted to play drums, you know, when I was a teenager at some point. But there were three problems with the drums. 
they're too big, they're too loud, and they're too expensive. And I was like, well, you know what? If I can't do the drums, the guitar could also be really cool. You know, maybe I'll try that. So my mom bought me a guitar when I was probably about 16. And it was from, I think, J.C. Penny, like the J.C. Penny catalog. <laughs> and I remember it coming in, in the mail, and it had a huge crack <laughs> down the back of the guitar. I mean, it was like, you know, less than $100, but I was kind of probably just happy to have a guitar. Up until then, I'd never really been, you know, really obsessed about a hobby. But for some reason, I really got into guitar. And the fact that the burgeoning tablature community online existed at that point. So, you know, I, I never learned to read actual sheet music, and I still am pretty poor at it today. But I could read tab, and I could download tons of tab from the internet, and, you know, I'd print them out and make a big book out of them. That's really just all I wanted to do, so I kind of just binged for years on playing the guitar. It seems like guitar is always the gateway drug for people. <laughs> Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's portable. That's, that's the best thing. You know, piano is great, but you just can't carry a real piano around, but you can easily bring a guitar to like a bonfire or a party. And then now you're that guy, you're the guy with a guitar, yep. you know? The essence of a good song is something that can be stripped down and played on an acoustic guitar. And so no matter how much time I spend on the computer making stuff, playing with sequencers, playing with samplers, playing with plugins, and it all comes back to the guitar. You know, it always gets at the essence of music to me that it can be played by a hundred piece orchestra and sound awesome, but you can also play it solo on a guitar and people can still like it and can, can still identify with it. So you've been doing video game scores. What has been your favorite one to work on? There's a game uh, that is already out called Impulse. It's kind of this freeware PC puzzler game where you play a little spaceship and try to get to the exit, but there's all these obstacles. This guy approached me when he was making it, and I guess he'd heard some of my music online and said, hey, you know, you seem like you'd be a good fit for, the for part of the soundtrack. He got a lot of people to contribute music. You know, I've been playing video games since I was five. It definitely influences and colors kind of everything I do with music. I kind of consider video game music my classic rock, you know, because it's the sounds of my childhood, much like my dad listened to, you know, you know Leonard Skinner or Led Zeppelin. Mm -hmm. I was going to ask you about your soundtrack for Ebb and Flow, the game. I really liked that one. Oh, I'm glad you like it. Yeah, that was really fun. How did you approach writing that? Um, I released that in 2008. And, you know, I got a Nintendo when I was 
five. So that was like 20 plus years of playing video games and listening to soundtracks. So at some point, once my skill slash confidence slash ambition was high enough, I was like, man, you know, I love RPGs. I love the soundtracks to RPGs. And specifically, soundtracks are really interesting to me in that they already have at least a bit of structure that you can build off of. You know, they all have like an opening theme and they have character themes and they have a battle theme and a town theme, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm like, I want to make my own. And I probably started off with one of those tracks just for fun. And then I thinking, well, I could also do one of these. I'm like, I could write a a theme when you're in the airship, you know, when you finally get the airship in that classic RPG and you can finally fly around the entire world map. I also need a, you know, a boss theme. need an intro theme when you're watching the title. You know, I don't have the ambition to, or really the skill to build a whole RPG, but I can make the soundtrack. And it was really fun thinking, you know, not only what makes a good song, but what makes a good song that makes sense for this particular part of the game because I definitely believe that art with constraints is often better than you know complete freedom yeah well that's cool I didn't I actually didn't know that wasn't a game I should have looked into it a little bit more but I think that's a really cool concept well thank you you know it's it's fun to think about the story behind music because you know I don't really write songs I you know I mainly write instrumental music so it's fun sometimes to just think like, all right, well, this music has, has a life outside the notes. You know, what could that be? And if yeah. somebody else finds that interesting, then that's cool. I appreciate having a context for things. I think it enriches the music if it has a story. For instance, you know, a random classical example like the Rite of Spring, knowing that when it was first premiered, you know, it caused riots and stuff like that. And, you know, it's, it's so odd to hear that now and think that it caused such pandemonium when it was first played. But that definitely makes you think about the music differently. Yeah. I was going to ask you about your album Average Town, too. Oh, sure. It's like super pure 8-bit composing. Mm-hmm. One thing I really liked about it was all the tempo changing. And I especially noticed that in the track New Helvishire. Mm-hmm. Gives it more life than if everything was, you know, synced to uh, the same tempo the whole time. Yeah, that particular track was really fun and unlike a lot of the other ones. As much as I like, you know, kind of basic 4-4 rock or, or even just electronic, easily danceable music... It's really fun to just kind of try something different and just stop trying to fit everything to a grid. You know, I mean, like, it, it would be almost impossible to make that particular song saying GarageBand because GarageBand doesn't even let you change, you know, have more than one tempo in a song. 
So most of this music you know, was made in Logic. And I love how it changes mood because of that tempo. If I wanted to be super pompous and pretentious, I could say that I was influenced by She's So Heavy by the Beatles, which did a very similar thing. Um, mm. But that, that's I wasn't actually thinking about that, even though I love the Beatles and I love that song. <laughs> but that whole album was really fun to make. And it, once again, it was one of those things like art with constraints. I think I really like doing that. I like thinking of an album like, okay, this is just going to be chiptune. You know, I can only use, you know, a triangle and a square and, you know, some filtered white noise. And then ebb and flow. Well, this is going to be super tropey. You know, I have to make all these songs that fit these tropes of RPGs and something like Zoetic, which is my meat and potatoes rock band kind of album. Like, that's what this is going to be. There's going to be a bass and there's going to be a guitar several guitars and there's going to be drums and that's about it well here's a question for you okay if you had one of your songs on loop playing in your head for the rest of your life what song would you pick Oh, that's tough. That reminds me of an interesting, just just a quick side note that is definitely tied into this question. A good friend of mine in college, we had a discussion about this uh, sort of an, you know, a desert island question. And I was adamant at the time that something with a strong melody or a catchy melody or whatever that you really like to hum along to is what I would want to listen to for the rest of you know, time or until I died, whatever. And he was adamant that no, uh, an interesting rhythm was more important. Hmm. And actually, over time, I've come to agree with him that melodies are great, but melodies are sort of like, they're sort of like candy in that, you know, you get that initial sugar rush that lasts a little while and that dopamine rush of having this cool, interesting set of intervals that you really like and can repeat back. But... I try to think of just hearing, like, say, a 10-second loop of a melody over and over and over again and how that might actually get old and annoying, which is weird. You know, it's almost like too much of a good thing, whereas the rhythm is almost more primal. It's more primitive. It's like a, it's almost like a lizard brain pleasure that doesn't go straight to the dopamine rush and is more subdued and can be dragged out over time and, and it, it's not just oh I know those 10 notes yep those those notes are good whereas the rhythm is harder to take in so if I had to choose one of my songs to hit on loop it would definitely have to be something where it had an interesting rhythm but if I, I'm just going to name a random song off the top of my head uh, there is a song that I called Cumulonimbus after the, the cloud formation one of the most interesting things that I did with it was I bowed my guitar, kind of a la Jimmy Page, Ooh. and I just came up with these really interesting, long, 
bowed notes. Have you seen Koyana Skatsi? I definitely have multiple times. <laughs> <laughs> I Love knew it. it. Love it. <laughs> when I watched your video from your album Thematic of the Alaskan Cruise, uh-huh. that one totally reminded me of Koyana Skatsi. Cool. That's, In a good way. That is high praise because that's definitely one of my favorite movies. Maybe you could explain a little bit about Koyana Skatsi oh, sure. for people who haven't seen it. So yeah, Philip Glass provides this kind of minimalist uh, soundtrack over about an hour and a half of videos of you know natural like landscapes, plus uh, then eventually shuffles into city life. So it kind of starts out in the natural world and then segues into factories and people at work and people walking around a city. And my favorite part is definitely at the end where it's just traffic time-lapse sped up and the music is upbeat and it's got that groove going essentially and that's it you know there's no narration there's no words i mean it, it's hard to say it even has a plot but you know it's an experience it's a very interesting experience yeah the thing i like about koyana skatsi and the thing i saw in your video that reminded me of it is that it's a contrast between like the super fast moving people in these time lapses and then you see like a giant landform like a mountain and it reminds you that the stuff is not changing and we are we're kind of just passengers i guess on the earth <laughs> i don't know ah that's i i don't know no one has ever interpreted the video before so <laughs> i yeah i i mean it, for me it was you know i I took a trip with my family to Alaska and shot a bunch of video and wrote a soundtrack for it. You know, you're free to interpret it however you want. Yeah. I liked that about your music for your own like home videos because mm -hmm. it's, it's interesting like i don't know of anyone else who has done a time lapse of themselves doing the dishes <laughs> um but yeah oh man but it's cool that you you made a soundtrack to your life basically you know literally <laughs> a day in your life even yeah and well and you going to the office eating a muffin yeah it, it's so weird because you, I do these things because, you know, they're fun. And I put them online, a public forum, but I, I really don't get any feedback. So to have somebody actually try to, like, watch it and be like, huh, what was this guy thinking when he did this <laughs> is, is, yeah, it's, I don't know. I'm just uh, not used to hearing that. <laughs> well, it, it's Interesting because you put those all together as a collection, 
an album mm-hmm. and also a collection of videos in a YouTube playlist. And I wanted to watch all seven of those because somehow like having the context of all seven of those videos is interesting. More interesting than if they had been individual chunks because I started to see like a little bit of your style mm-hmm. come through in all of them. Wow. But anyways, I also liked your last video in that series, the Narcissus. Uh, I'm not going to be able to. Yeah, the Narcissus the Terminus. Yes. Very dark. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that music was written well before that video. So it was more like, huh, what makes sense to be looking at while you're listening to this? It was actually really fun and kind of weird to walk around my neighborhood at 10 o'clock at night and hope nobody saw me taking video and thought I was a stalker or something. (laughs) But, you know, I will say I love kind of looking at situations in a completely different way than you're used to looking at it. And I mean, you know, I've lived in the neighborhood I live in for several years now, and I've seen it during the day many, many times, but I've never seen it at night like that. And so it was kind of eye-opening to just see what you know, my environment was like at a totally different time. Yeah. You know, and I'm usually up late. I mean, obviously the fact that you're doing this interview at midnight, your time speaks to you, you knowing exactly what this feeling is like. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't think I've been to bed before 4am any night this oh, week. Wow. What time do you wake no. up? If you don't mind I me don't. asking. Uh, well, usually average is like 10am or 11am. Ah, <laughs> yeah. When are your usual composing hours? I would say, you know, most of the time that music is actually actively being made is after 10 o'clock. Um, I kind of conditioned myself to go on less sleep than most people. And I kind of see it as a skill, you know, it's, it's, it's a useful skill to be able to do. But I also feel like I've just missed so much sleep. Like I have a backlog of sleep that I probably need. <laughs> Like years. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, well, Mike, it's been awesome talking with you. It's been great talking to you. I'm really glad uh, we were able to do this. That's my talk with Michael Chadwick. You can check out more of his music at nebulae.com. That's spelled N-E-B-Y-O-O-L-A-E. We have a lot of cool episodes coming up, so I hope you'll stay tuned at facebook.com slash composerquest or twitter.com slash composerquest. Now, it's time once again for... In this week's production lesson, I'm going to talk about another video game track that I wrote for the game Star Reaction. If you remember back in episode 56, Dutch Dance Music with Duct Tape, I showed you a track that was rejected from the game, and one reason it was is there was just too many things going on for this simple puzzle game. So I started thinking about what could people listen to on repeat that would help them zone out and get into the game. And just like Michael was talking about, I think the answer comes more from interesting rhythms 
than a catchy melody. And I think Michael's comparison of catchy melodies to sweet candy is a really good one, because I can totally see how you could get sick of having the same melody repeat over and over and over again. So what I tried to do with this new track is to create a soundscape more so than a song. And for my starting point, I took a small snippet of my main theme for the video game and put it on loop. So first, here's a little bit of my main theme. And here's the snippet of the track that I put on a loop using my new best friend, the arpeggiator effect in Ableton Live. One thing that's cool about looping a pre-existing track is that it has its own rhythm, but when you put it on a loop, the rhythm gets thrown off a little bit, and it keeps pushing and pulling the beat. And to make this rhythmic pushing and pulling a little bit more pronounced, I added a bass part with a pickup note to give it a little more life. My favorite part of this track is a flute synth sound I added, and I once again used the arpeggiator effect to create random burbling notes. I tried adding an effect called beat repeat, and the cool thing about it is that you can make the pitches kind of fall off after the notes happen. I really liked that slidey falling effect. But I thought all these falling notes needed some sort of balance with rising notes too. And so I messed around with a few effects and found that an effect called grain delay could achieve what I wanted to do, make the pitches kind of rise up after they happen. And I set this delay to go up by two semitones with each delay. In other words, it creates a whole tone scale, which you probably will recognize from any dream sequence in any movie ever. I should pause for a second to say that I know this is getting kind of technical, but I hope that even if you don't totally understand the effects I'm doing, at least hearing pieces of how they work in my track will be helpful. I'd love to get feedback from you, charlie at composerquest.com, if you think these music production lessons are worthwhile, or if you have suggestions for me to make them better. And by the way, if you are a visual learner, I do have a screenshot of my Ableton Live project for this track at composerquest.com chadwick. So, picking up where we were, the rising and falling notes. I decided that I wanted to alternate from falling notes to rising notes about every 10 seconds. So here's what the effect sounds like on the main synth track, and notice the shift from falling notes to rising notes. It's kind of a subtle effect over the whole track, but I think compositionally, it 
adds a little something that wasn't there. And I think of these rising and falling notes as kind of like questions and answers. In music, your phrases either end going up or down. Just like a question, how are you? I'm fine. These kind of question and answer up and down movements are really simple, but an effective tool for creating a stable or unstable effect in a phrase. If you end it going up, it'll be less stable than if you end it going down. So try thinking about that when you're composing and listen for it in other people's music. So one last thing I wanted to point out in this video game track. Remember last episode, Brooke DeRosa talked about 808 kits? Well, I tried a little 808 cowbell in this track, which is super cheesy on its own. But by adding some reverb, delay, and softening the attack, I made it into kind of a background synthy sound. One last technical note for you video game composers who need to create music on a loop, I just found an awesome button in Ableton Live called Render as Loop. And what that does is it takes the reverb tail from the very end of your track and pops it on the beginning of your track. So you have a seamless transition when you loop it. So I structured this piece kind of visually, actually, because I had all four instruments laid out in front of me, looping for four and a half minutes, and that would be boring. So what I did was change the volume level of each track kind of randomly throughout to accentuate certain instruments at certain times. And I also have different effects becoming more and less prominent over time, including a reverb that I put over the whole thing, and I turned it up to 100% at one point to make it totally ambient and non-rhythmic. Again, if you want to follow along visually to see these volume levels I drew in in my Ableton Live project, go to composerquest.com chadwick. All right, enough explaining. Let's take a listen to Starpagiator. Thank you. 